Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's you, Jamie. Don't be alarmed, but I think there's a guy following you. Maybe we should get that guard dog we talked about? Nothing too scary. Maybe like a Bichon with an attitude? You know, Progressive's collision insurance covers injured dogs and cats at no extra cost, so... Wait, the guy stood up when I stood up. He's on the phone. He's looking right at me. Oh, wait, it's just my reflection. Don't tell anyone about this. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Pet coverage not available in New Hampshire and North Carolina. You are locked on thunder. Your daily podcast on the Oklahoma City Thunder, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello there, everyone. We're locked in for episode 105 of Locked On Thunder, presented by the Norman Transcript. I'm your host, Fred Katz. Locked on Thunder is part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Head on to iTunes and search Locked On Thunder, and you can subscribe to the podcast or any other Locked On podcast there. Uh, you can leave a review once you're on that page, too, and find us on audioboom.com. And you can log on to normantranscript.com to check out my blog, Thunder Road, under the sports tab on the site. Find all of your Thunder coverage there. Find, find all of my Thunder coverage there on every day of the week as well, Monday through Friday. Thursday show, Thunder just fell to the Jazz. Uh, I got David Locke of... Well, he's he's locked on, so I don't think I need to give any explanation here, right, David? I don't know. Maybe people in Oklahoma City. You know, I, I bothered a bunch of people in Oklahoma City once, so you know, maybe more than once. So probably they they would like to pretend they don't know me. Wait, wait. How did you bother people in Oklahoma City? Oh, I would say that in the early years, some Thunder fans and maybe some radio hosts had a insecurity thin skin about whether or not they knew the NBA or not. I happen to try to broadcast with the belief that most people don't know, you know, a huge amount of the NBA. It's our job to explain it. So I think I explained who, I don't know, like somebody was and they took it as an insult that I was implying that they wouldn't know who that person was because they hadn't been in the NBA long enough. Now I will say, now I will bother Thunder fans with this. And, and actually my really good friend is a part of the, the marketing and tie up big with the Thunder. So I'm saying this a little bit tongue in cheek to give him a hard time. I've never understood the standing up until your team scores. It should be you're standing up until the opposition scores. Because you're supporting why you do your that? Because it's as though like you're standing and if your team suddenly like doesn't score and you're standing there for like five minutes and you look bad, but you should be standing and cheering all. So you're cheering on like your defense. It's backwards that you would sit down when your team scores. And now the Denver Nuggets do it too. So the Thunder fans have now like somehow brought this into the league and now everyone's doing it. And I've never understood it. I think it's backwards. I guess that's kind of, I've true. had I this debate about that. It's totally backwards. It's, and it's I've a very had this debate thing. with people. Yeah, it's no, it's it's not only it's collegiate, but it's backwards. You <laughs> should be standing to cheer on your defense. I Think about how true. awesome that would be if you started eight nothing. They went to timeout because you're up eight nothing, and then you were still standing after the timeout. Like the way this works, if you're up eight nothing, you're sitting. That's true. That does make sense. You you know what? You've convinced me. 
You've completely sold me. That is that is a good point. I never thought about that. I've thought about how it's really awkward when it's when when like the fans are continuing to stand up the whole time and they're like down, they're down eight nothing and they're standing for four minutes and everyone just kind of wants to sit down and it's like a terrible atmosphere. And I've thought about the awkwardness of that, but I never thought about the reverse. That is a good point. So there you go. See, the Thunder fans brought this to the NBA. They do it backwards, but even worse than that is now other teams are following and copying. <laughs> uh, you want to talk about Thunder Jazz a little bit? By the way, I just want to know. I got to tell Lake Nick so everyone knows. There's my, I, I'm actually serious, but my tongue is really implanted in my cheek because one of my closest friends is like huge up on the Thunder executive team, and I've bugged him about this for a while. I can, I can tell. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, so I'm just Jazz, hoping. I'm hoping he's a locked on Thunder listener. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I I I have this theory that that somehow the the listener numbers are just jumping up and 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 I don't know who's listening to this because even my mom is like I don't I don't I don't need to hear you, sweetie. Uh, Jazz Jazz beat the Thunder tonight, one hundred nine to eighty nine. Uh, Jazz Jazz are really good. They're really really good. I mean, they're they're top ten defense, top ten offense, one of four teams that fits that category. They just ran the Thunder off the court tonight. I mean, I think part of it was part of it was second night of back to back syndrome for the Thunder. Part of it was no Victor Oladipo syndrome for the Thunder. Part of it was Russell Westbrook missed 18 shots and took 25. Uh, the Jazz shot 50-something percent from three-point land. Like, they just they just killed him in every single way possible. And the Thunder got kind of close there in the third quarter. Uh, what Like, was there one decisive thing you thought changed this? Or I kind of thought the Jazz were just kind of better all around. I do think the outside circumstances, Jazz having three days off, Thunder playing on the back end of the back-to-back rest is so important in this league played into it, but the jazz were a vastly superior team tonight. And that game was not close. I mean, the jazz led wire to wire. There were no ties. There were no lead changes. It was never in doubt. It was a very slow pace game. It was a 90 possession game, which is how the jazz want to play. The thunder usually play at one Oh one. So to have a game that's in double digits or even more than, you know, it was 18 for a lot of the fourth quarter, in a slow-paced game is not a close basketball game. Uh, so, I, well, you know, I thought the Jazz plan on Westbrook was fabulous. They did it better than even Portland did it the night before, which was they just – they had, I think, two offensive rebounds all game. They did an offensive rebound at all. They got back. They're big and they're long defensively, and they built these walls, and Westbrook had nowhere to go. And the numbers on Westbrook are pretty daunting – negatively if he doesn't use a shot in the first nine seconds of the shot clock. Yeah. Starts so you, to fall apart and it, you tweeted this out first, first seven checking seconds of the shot clock tonight. Westbrook was four of six from the field. After that, he was three of 19 and like the thunder, the thunder, I, I use this stat a lot because I think it's, it's, it's probably the most important statistic in the entire thunder offense conceptually in terms of the way that they operate. And so the thunder shoot, quicker than any other team in the league after getting a defensive rebound. Uh, and also after forcing a turnover, they put up a shot quicker uh, and they put up shots relatively, not relatively slowly comparatively. They're still above average in the half court and getting shots up because Westbrook will, you know, put them up, maybe some ill-advised shots, but they're not cl- close to leading the league in those categories. And it's because Westbrook gets a defensive rebound. He gets the ball after a turnover, whether it's him or he gets it on an outlet or whatever it is. And he just pushes like crazy. And the Thunder need those transition points. They need to get those mismatches in the half court so they can be successful. And the Jazz did such a good job tonight 
in terms of just getting back, uh, prioritizing defense, prioritizing transition defense, making sure that Westbrook wasn't getting on the break, making sure they did get matched up with him and the rest of the team, that once the Thunder got in that half-court offense, they just, they con- they converged on everybody who got into the lane, and, and they weren't able to create anything. So it's really interesting you bring that note up because Quinn Snyder in my coaching show tonight, when I asked him, how do you try to keep Westbrook out of that first nine seconds of the shot clock? The two things he said is you can't turn it over and you've got to realize when he gets the rebound, you can't play him one-on-one or one-on-two. You've got to get all the way back defensively and then play him. So that's really interesting that you bring those two numbers up because those were the two things that Quinn Snyder either knew numerically or just knew instinctually as as a coach uh, and, and thus brought those things up. Uh, in our coaches' show. Well, Quinn Snyder, it's, he's, he's known for more than just fantastic hair. Yeah, he's really good, by the way. I mean, he might, oh, I, yeah, I, he's real good. You're catching me at a moment where I, I do think the Jazz might be terrific. Uh, hey, I think I, they may be David, every bit you, as good as the Clippers and the Spurs. I texted you not two weeks ago and told you that team's winning 50 games. Did I not? Yeah, and I texted you back that I thought it was too hard to do, and I still haven't really looked at the math on – because if you're asking them to win 50 games, I think you're asking them to play at about a 53-54 pace the rest of the way. And the schedule's been – you know, they came through a brutal schedule, and now it's really been soft. This has been incredibly soft, but they've also won 9 of 11 in this stretch. So there just aren't that many teams that are better than them. I mean, I think Toronto's probably close – and Cleveland's better than them, and Golden State's better than them, and Clippers and San Antonio. I, I, I think Utah's in with Toronto, L.A., and San Antonio. And and I, you know, when Houston went on that road trip, by the way, and they beat everybody, they lost. They got throttled by the Jazz. So I, I think there's a chance that Utah's really good. Yeah, me too. And and I just uh, I did the quick math, and uh, the Jazz are actually playing at a 50 win pace now, at 16 and 10. Oh, all right. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think them and Houston are, are pretty clear top five teams in the West. Like Memphis has the record right now, but Memphis's net rating is, is a negative right now. So I I think it's, I think it's hard to say that Memphis is there. They play really good defense, but the offense is just not there and they're injury prone and, and Conley's hurt and all that kind of stuff. But the Jazz have fought through the injuries and they're, they've got it all right now. I mean, them, them and Houston to me are like, are like four and five in the West by, by a pretty nice margin. And then you got like Memphis and the Thunder at six and seven. Uh, but they clearly, I mean, look, sec- this was, this was a schedule loss too for the Thunder. Like regardless of right. the way that they lost was the unimpressive part. Not that they lost. The Thunder were almost certainly going to lose this game. Second night of a back to back, uh, in Utah, uh, that's a tough place to play. It's obviously a really good team, as we've spoken about for the last 10 minutes. That's that's the definition of a schedule loss. If they had won this, I said going into it, if they had won this game, it would have been their best win of the year. So it's not necessarily a terrible thing. It's not this disaster that they lost. But the way they lost, the fact that they lost by 19 for a second night in a row, or 20 this time, 19 in Portland, uh, that's, you know, they were unimpressive in doing so. And I think the defense is a little bit of a problem for the Thunder. I know, I know you you do the Jazz, but you also you know you have locked on NBA and and you do the whole league. And I know you watch a lot of Thunder. The Thunder this year, like they're they're ranked really high defensively, but their biggest problem defensively has been keeping ball handlers out of the middle of the floor, which is strange because Andre Robertson is really good at pushing guys to the side, 
Uh, but even Oladipo when he's playing, and especially Westbrook, is just they'll get caught up on screens, and guys end up getting into the middle of the floor. And tonight, like Jazz ball handlers, one of the reasons that Jazz shot so well from three was because they kept getting into the middle. They kept getting slightly off to the right side in the middle, and they were finding you know the left corner shooter off skip passes, and they were finding rollers into the lane, and they just didn't do a good job keeping the ball out of the middle of the floor, and the Jazz ended up just carving them up. Well, it's interesting. Our uh, halftime interview we, we have with an assistant coach, uh, his comment was that the Thunder gamble a lot, and so you should be able to break the paint and take advantage of that, break the paint, play with your eyes out, and get the ball out. It's interesting. The Thunder, I believe, are the fourth-best team in the league at defending the three-point shot and ninth-best team in the league at denying the three-point shot. So for the Jazz to have 13 threes on 23 attempts tonight kind of defies what Oklahoma City's regularly been allowed to do. I do think Andre Robertson is one of the best wing defenders in the league. We highlighted that heavily on our broadcast tonight. Gordon didn't score on him in the first quarter, but that's where you really missed Oladipo because then Rodney Hood went off. Um, and that's also where the Jazz might be really good because if George Hill's around, then they have three wing players who can score. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, like, even even Joe Johnson can do some stuff off the bench too. Like, there, there are a few guys on that team who can – well, really Joe Ingles is the Joe Ingles the leading three point shooter in the NBA right now. Yeah, Joe Ingles is Joe Ingles blew by Russell Westbrook tonight. That was a thing that happened. Like Russell Westbrook, Russell Westbrook's <laughs> defense tonight was not. Um, it's not going to be on an instructional videotape. Uh, but he he was one on one with Joe Ingles on the left wing, and Joe Ingles just with no move at all just blew by Russell Westbrook, and that was when you were like, oh. This game is probably not going to uh, go great for the Thunder if Joe Ingles is blowing by Russell Westbrook. I don't know how well the rest of this. I think the, how well the rest of this thing. I think the thing, right. I think the thing you were alluding to, though, in though it's a scheduling loss, is that both the last two nights, and I've obviously watched both of them from a Thunder standpoint, have been a little daunting at how it just doesn't look good, right? It it yeah. doesn't look right. So, in other words. You put the ball in the blocks of Steven Adams and the defense is not moving at all. Like Portland didn't move at all. We didn't move at all. We're not worried about anybody. And Russell's breaking down the defense, running into three guys, and there's nobody out there that can punish him. And Anthony Morrow still hasn't hit a three-point shot this year where he dribbled the basketball. So if you close out on him and force him to dribble, you know he's no he's not a threat. And Grant's a life career 28% three-shooter and Christian's a 22 and you know, um, for Robertson is a 30% three-point shooter. So there's no threat, and it just doesn't look right, particularly on the offensive end. And to your point, defensively, both those are two pretty good offensive teams. But, you know, two top ten defensive teams just really made uh, things look ugly without Oladipo on the floor. Yeah, I mean, look, th- this roster, it's not designed to be able to take a hit to Adams, Oladipo, or Westbrook. Like, if one of those guys goes down, there's a lot of issues. Because it's – I've said this a million times, but it's its worth saying that the the guys on this roster are mostly specialists. Like, they're, they're not really multi, many multidimensional players. Like, Oladipo is one, Adams is one, and obviously Westbrook is one. Other than that, I mean, you have guys like Robertson, who's an excellent – I think he's – I think he's all – he's been all defense good, in my opinion, this year, and – Maybe I'm just part of the Homer Oklahoma City media and thinking that, but I really do think he's been like all defense good. 
Uh, I don't know if he'll make all defense, but I think the caliber of his defense has been that good. And you got Grant, who's a defensive specialist and, and you know, is not going to shoot or give you much with the ball offensively. And, and you know, Canner is an offensive guy who's not going to play on the defensive end. It's, it's a bunch of specialists who are coming out. You know, Morrow is a specialist. Hey, you know, Kristen is a defensive specialist. Like, that's, that's really what this roster is. And you need those three guys to create everything, especially with Cameron Payne out. And when you have Cameron Payne and Oladipo out, like there's just you're gonna you're gonna struggle because you just don't have a bunch of different traits coming from a bunch of different guys. You have them coming all from one guy, and that's it. And the problem with that is when you're playing a good team, which I think we've established Utah fits into, then they exploit it. So while Cantor was having a pretty good game offensively, I believe there were seven straight pick and roll plays where the Jazz went at Ennis and scored on six of them. And they were doing it with Shelvin Mack, which is not a great sign for Ennis, but we all kind of know if Ennis has got to move his feet, it's not a good sign. Um, and then there were just so many other times where they just didn't guard Christian or they didn't guard Roberson or they didn't guard anyone other than Morrow on the perimeter, which allowed them to cut off all driving lanes. Yeah, Christian, Christian's got to start shooting. Something that he's been, he's been doing, and, and it's a rookie thing, like Sabonis does it to a to a lesser degree, and and lots. I w- I'm going to go ahead and say the majority of rookies do it, and it's it's not Kristen's fault because he's a second round pick rookie. Like it's it's and he's he's in a position where he's being relied on. I'm sure you know more than they thought they were going to have to rely on Samaj Kristen. Uh, but at the same time, it would help them a lot if um, when he was open, even if he shoots 28, percent like if he was open. I think he's got to put up shots because one of the reasons nobody is closing out on him is, is not because he is incapable from three, which he's, he's obviously not, you know, an all world shooter, but, but the reason that teams are fine, not closing out on him is because he doesn't shoot the ball. When he first gets it, he gets it. He hesitates. He often pump fakes, even though there's nobody guarding him and nobody bites because there's no one really guarding him. Uh, and, and it's just kind of, it's, it's like a very rookie thing, you know, like I'm sure he won't be doing that in his second, third, fourth year beyond in the league. Like, I'm sure that won't be the case. It's a very, you know, 24-year-old rookie in the NBA thing that he's doing. But, like, if he just gets the ball and shoots in rhythm, defenses, even if they're told on a scouting report, like, you don't need to guard this guy in the perimeter, they're just naturally, like, defenses in a playoff series, they'll adjust to it. But, like, in, in you know, when you're playing a team that, you know, hasn't had a lot of time to scout you and it's the next night of a back-to-back, they're just going to naturally, if you if they see you're shooting in rhythm, they're going to naturally close out on a point guard who shoots like that. It's just going to happen. And I think for the Thunder, they need him to be able to just put up those shots when he's open, kind of kind of regardless of, of what his percentage is on them. Uh, you know, it's the same thing. That's the Dante Exum for the Jazz. He's not a good shooter and he hit his first three straight away. And that, you know, so yeah, you've, You've got to shoot those. I mean, Dante went one for 11 the other night. It was pretty ugly. Um, but you have to shoot him. You're absolutely right. You you just can't play. I mean, Christian doesn't look like an NBA player right now because of that. He just doesn't look like he belongs. So you've got to act like you belong um, a little bit. I'm a little surprised. I, I scouted Sabonis a lot. I didn't love him. I thought he was a little overwhelmed when he faced elite athletes. And they've taken him away from the post game that was fairly decent in college probably because of that athletic thing, but I was a little surprised how much he has become Matt Bonner. (laughs) You know how many free throws he's attempted this year? 
Well, yeah, I tweeted it out because of you today. It's two and the all-time record for fewest free throws and minutes played or field goal attempts was Matt Bonner. Second was Dante Exum in his rookie year. So, yeah, I mean, I've, you know, there's a, there's a kind of a signing on rookies that uh, uh, at least analytically that mistakes are good because it means you're doing something. So a high turnover rate by a rookie is actually a good sign. It means they're going to be good. Cantor actually had that as a rookie. It was a really high turnover rate, but it kind of meant he was going to be all right offensively because he'll figure out how to not commit turnovers and then he'll be really good. So bonus is complete lack of anything other than just shooting is a little disconcerting for me tonight. I'm sure he'll be fine, but he's really a good shooter, but I thought it was revealing how much having Nick Collison in the game really changed everything in a positive way for the thunder. It just gave, you know, just reminded you that just rookies just, you know, like we're going to see it with our team, Dante Exum and Trey Lyles are going to play less and less and less as time goes on. Cause young players just don't know how to win. They don't know how to play. I, I actually, I, I may, maybe I'm misinterpreting what you were saying. I actually disagree. I think Sabonis is going to be a good player. Um, he, he obviously. I'm not has, saying he's not. I'm not going to say he's not. I'm not saying he's not going to be a good player. I was a little surprised how neutered I feel like he is at this point. Well, I, I mean, think he just part of it. Part of it is just that floor. he doesn't. Uh, part of it is that he doesn't have a right hand. He just. He just doesn't. He doesn't have a right. And so defenses, when he's got the ball, they're just giving him the right, and it's really hard for him to go left. Like he doesn't even pass with oh, his right sure. hand. He doesn't even pass with his right hand, and when he's in the post. Uh, they just they just give him the right. Like when he's in the post at any given moment, he could just take a right-handed wide open layup, and he has. I don't know if he's ever done it. Uh, it absolutely never happens. He could they leave open right-handed passing lanes. I don't think he's ever passed it righty. He tries to reach over lefty and throw a backhanded lefty pass. Uh, he just has he has no right hand, and I don't know if that's something you can develop or not, uh, or get better at or not. But it's like um. Like Thaddeus Young is like that. That's why Thaddeus Young really became like a face-up player, not a never in a post guy because he's he's all left. But like Sabonis is is even more extreme than like that is. He's really he's really all left, and so I think they've tried to at least mitigate that by sticking him away from the rim. And he's a really good shooter. And look, it's really hard for a rookie to post up when there's no space because if he's inside, he's the guy who's supposed to be the spacer in the starting unit. So when he's inside, right. there's nobody who's spacing for him. Uh, so, like, it's hard enough for Steven Adams, who's, who, I, who, has, who has a decent amount of post moves. Uh, he looks really ugly sometimes because, like, two or three guys run in on him because you got Robertson on the outside or, you know, guys will help off of other people. Uh, it's hard enough for a guy like Adams, who's bigger than Sabonis, and is more experienced and is more used to guys like that, defending him like that. And uh, if Sabonis gets in there, it's just – it's really tough for him. It's really hard for him at this point. But I think it's possible he gets there because he's got good footwork and that kind of stuff. But the not having a right thing, right, a right hand, that, that hurts. That hurts for sure. I, I really like how he's shooting, though, because that was the question. When I scouted him, and I'm a draft Nick, so I really watch a bunch. And I watched him, and I can't remember who the third one was. It might have been Diamond Stone. But I watched him in the three games he played against NBA talent last year. Um, I don't know if Gonzaga played Maryland or I feel like they might have. And, and the other was Marquise Chris at Washington and the other was Jakob Pertl. He had a really good game against Jakob Pertl, but the athleticism of those three guys bothered him. And so I'm pleased to see he's be able to play on the outside because Gonzaga didn't use him. Only the Lithuanian national team used him that way. 
And so you, if you watched him, you weren't sure. And so it's good to see, but I, I did expect such a good passer that I wanted to see him kind of create some things or, and he didn't do any of that. So I was a little surprised by that, but I, I think, you know, Hey, he's really young and there's time to be time to go. And I wouldn't, I'm not, if I was a Thunder fan, I'm not in any way saying shape or form at all saying I'd be worried. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think they're going to use him eventually as like a pick and roll guy too. Uh, which is something they, they use him pick and pop every once in a while. But like, again, it's hard for them. Here's the thing. A lot of his passes, I think are going to come with like big to big passes, um, like use him as a pick and roll, give him the ball and then let him and let him create, let him find, you know, Steven Adams down low, let him swing to a shooter, all that kind of stuff. But it's re- again, like it's really hard to do that stuff with a 20 year old rookie when there's no spacing. Like that's right. that's I mean, really hard. Like you need to be Draymond Green or Blake Griffin to make those passes out of the role with this kind of spacing. And like, but giving that responsibility to a twenty-year-old rookie like is really hard. If if they were a really bad team, they would probably be doing that. But like, they're trying to make the playoffs, like as they should, because they're they're pretty decent. Uh, and and it's just hard to justify doing that kind of stuff when you're on a team that's fifteen and eleven. Right. I think, you know, the mid rolls, what you're talking about there and, um, you know, kicking out of the corner three shooter, he'll be able to do that. He'll, he'll be, he's got good enough hands, good enough balance. Uh, he'll be stronger as years go on. These guys, you know, Rudy Gobert's the last two years and one of them was due to a knee injury, but in two matchups against Steven Adams really scuffled last year. And, you know, I thought handled him pretty good tonight. I thought he was physically, Steven Adams is a behemoth man. He's, He's unbelievable how strong and how large he is. It's just stunning when you stand next to him. And I thought Gobert handled that pretty well. I didn't think Adams really outmuscled him much at all. And, you know, Rudy had another one of these amazing nights where he didn't miss a shot. I mean, five, five from the field, two of two from three for, or two of two from free throw line. I mean, the guy for the last 11 games is shooting, I think, about 76% from the field and 75% from the free throw line. How, uh, how long do you think we have to go before? he starts to get some defensive player of the year hype. Well, he should be in one or two on the defensive player of the year. And he should make the all-star team. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's better than Deion. He's better than Deandre Jordan right now. He's been now, better this year. <clears throat> yeah. We're honoring Deandre Jordan for his years past of not making the all-star team. And we can do that. And then Deandre makes the all-star team and, you know, and there's like this unspoken rule that if you play on the national team, you get to make the all-star team, which is garbage. Um, and so, if that if we're going to do that, then we can do that. But if we're picking the All Stars for this year, then Rudy Gobert's been better than DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, he's been really good. He's making an All NBA case. A lot of good centers, though, man. There's so it's many good centers, and it, it's really interesting is that draft that Adams and Gobert are in, which is also I think the same draft as Oladipo, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Is this is if you kind of go back to when it first started, everybody was talking about Oladipo and. I'm kind of spacing on the top of that draft right now. Uh, was that Anthony Bennett? And um, and, ever, and I remember Kevin O'Connor, the then GM of Jazz, said to me, everyone's missing on this draft. And I said, why? He said, because there's going to be six starting bigs in this draft, and we've got to make sure we leave with one of them, if not two. And he, it's actually, I think, eight. Um, it's Alex Len. If you walk through it, and you probably, if you can pull it up, you can help me out. But it's I've Alex got Len, it. so Stephen Adams. I've got it pulled up. First off, we haven't mentioned that the guy who, if you redrafted, who I think would probably go number one in that, if you redrafted, 
went 15. Uh, and that's Giannis. Yeah, and Rudy would go number two. Yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, yeah, Anthony Bennett went one that year. And it was uh, Oladipo, Otto Porter. He's become a really nice player. Um, but but Cody Zeller, Alex Len. All right, but just run through the bigs. Look at look at the starting bigs. So Cody Zeller is a starting big. Yeah, we got Cody Zeller a starting big. Nolan's Noel is like Al- oh pseudo starting big. Uh, Stephen Adams. Alex, Len, Alex Len should be a starting big. Yeah, Stephen Adams. Kelly Olynyk is a good player. Um, Lucas Nogueira is having a solid season actually off the bench for Toronto. Right. Gorgie, Gorgie Jang, Mason Plumley, uh, Rudy Gobert, all in the first round. It's pretty incredible. Like, no one talked about that as, like, a great big man draft, but that's a great big man draft. Yeah, and you've got multiple multiple centers who were drafted in the second round who are still in the league, which is uh, kind of a thing. I mean, you got there – were, there were four centers who went in the second round, and three of them are rotation players. Jeff Withey, well, Mike, Mike Muscala, and um, who's the other one? Oh, Joffrey Laverne. And the other one – and that's better than any of the point guards who were taking that draft because it was – um, I remember, uh, we had a coach on our staff that year. We ended up drafting Trey Burke anyway, but who, uh, I was talking about the draft and I said, he was a former point guard and I'd said to him kind of like, what do you think? And he goes, well, not any of these guys are starting point guard in the NBA. There's not a guy in the first round that's a starting point guard in the NBA. Now CJ McCollum has become a starting shooting guard in the NBA and Dennis Schroeder is starting in the NBA, but I think that may turn out to be a really big mistake by Atlanta. Yeah, I think the jury's out on Schroeder still a little bit. Right. But yeah, the other ones were like Shane Larkin and... and Trey uh, Burke, Michael yeah, Carter-Williams. MCW. Michael Carter-Williams on his fourth team now. Fourth team? Right. Third Tra- team. Trey Burke Trey Burke could be out of the league in a year. Yeah, so. he very well might. He's not. He's not playing. He he was so anyway. That's a little different than where we were on tonight's game. But yeah, <laughs> I did like the fact that number twenty-seven and number twelve were wearing their draft numbers tonight. There you go. There you go, uh, David. You want to call a wrap? Say that again. I said you want to. You want to. You want to wrap up? Yeah, we can. Yeah. Uh, so what do? Uh, what should we tell the? You're you're the pod father. What should we what should we tell people about Locked On Thunder and the Locked On Podcast Network? Well, Locked On Thunder is awesome and they should each person should go tell five of their friends in the at the office or around because the only way to be a smart Thunder fan is listen to Locked On Thunder and it's no fun to be a smart Thunder fan with no other smart Thunder fans around. So you're really doing a service for yourself by telling other people to listen to Locked on Thunder. So they should go tell people. They should go uh, grab Locked on NBA, really good episode with the scout. A lot of it on Westbrook, actually, and how you guard Westbrook and what you try to do to Westbrook. Um, at Locked on NBA, Kevin Pelton was really good this week as well, so there's two good podcasts on Locked on NBA. And if you're a fantasy player, Josh Lloyd's Locked on Fantasy Basketball is like one of the hottest fantasy, one of the hottest uh, sports podcasts in the country, and he's really he's tearing it up. Josh is really good. The the loyal yeah, really good show. the loyal Locked On Thunder listeners might remember I've had Josh on a few times already. Uh, Josh is really good. He's really really good. That guy knows his stuff. He is he is yeah, really I mean, really knowledgeable. It's hard it's hard to do the whole league. Like it's really hard to do the whole league and be up to date every really twenty four hours when you have to do the podcast. And he does a really good job. Finishing on the road, I am able to stay real. 
Then we get on the plane, we get box scores from the night before, and I watch a lot on the road and and home. I find that what you just said is true. Like we've been home for a long time, and uh, I suddenly am like, man, I almost need to get on the road to go see what's going on in this league a little bit and make sure I gotta understand what how everybody's playing because by the time the wife and kids want some time, which they certainly deserve, and um, everything else I grew to. It's sometimes hard to keep track. So, no, Josh does a great job. I hope people like Locked on NBA. Um, I thought this week's episodes were really good with Kevin Pelton, and I thought the scout was great today. I thought the scout was uh, really had some interesting things. And you know what's interesting to me about that is just to share and then and we'll let everyone move on is, is a lot of people say, well, I don't agree with him. Well, that's great. And you're welcome to not agree with him. But he's hired by an NBA team. He's an NBA scout. So that doesn't mean he's right. It just means that that is somebody's opinion who is hired by NBA teams, which should be interesting to you that you don't agree with it or you don't think it's commonplace because it tells you there's definitely more kind of joint multiple opinions floating around this league than you're led to believe when you just read the media. Yep, that is very true. There, there. It's it's amazing because like I talk to a lot of the conversations that I have with people who work in the league, I don't really ever write because I don't I don't really know. If it's uh, like every once in a while when something happens, I'll just like text a bunch of people who I know and be like, so what do you think of this? And we'll just like end up talking basketball. And I rarely publish it or say anything about it because I, I, I can never really tell, even if I get the same answer from everybody, I can never really tell if it's consensus or if like within my little bubble of people who I become friends with or people who I like develop relationships with, like those people tend to all kind of be of the same ilk and the same, same thought process. And I don't know if they're necessarily representative of the rest of the league. Like my sample may just be too small. So I never really write about that stuff, but like there are definitely a lot of different opinions. Like you can ask two very smart people in the NBA, what do you think about fill in the blank? And you will get opposite answers. Yeah. There's, there's media has a little bit too much group going on. There's some dominant personalities in the media circles that everyone follows. Yeah. Yeah. That's, very true. There's a lot of group think, especially on like basketball Twitter. We'll do that to you. Uh, yeah. Like David said, locked on Thunder, locked on Jazz, locked on NBA, locked on everything. Find that wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Fred Katz, F R E D K A T Z, and David is locked on sports. Uh, and you can log on to normantranscript.com for all your Thunder needs and check out Thunder Road. Like I said at the top of the show, that's my blog, and you can follow team coverage there. Uh, and you can just see what's next for the Thunder on that page. That's going to do it for today. The Thunder are off on Friday. I'm not off on Friday, but the Thunder don't play again until Saturday. They've got Phoenix, that like weirdly scheduled 4 p.m. afternoon game on Saturday. But until then, for David and for me, Locked on Thunder is locking up. <laughs>